0: Our Bible reading is from Psalm 138, the Psalm of David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for all your unfailing love and your faithfulness for you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly, Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands.
1: Well, in our series of uh, looking at the life of David and looking at a heart after what does it mean to have a heart after God's heart, uh, these past few weeks, few months, we've really learned a lot. Learned a lot about the human heart. We've learned what it means to not take personal vengeance, we learn what it means to have hearts so that cry out to God amidst life's struggles. We've learnt what it means to have hearts that confess sin and seek mercy from God and so much more. Today we're going to finish our series looking at one last thing, one last psalm written by David and it really looks at today what does it mean for us to have hearts that praise God with our whole heart and how to foster a life of praise before God. So as we explore this psalm this morning, I'd just like to commit our time again to prayer. So please pray with me. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you graciously have given us a way to know you through it as we encounter Jesus. Holy Spirit, we can't do that by ourselves. We need you to work in us, to penetrate our hearts, to convict us of sin and to show us your glory in Jesus. Father, we pray that you might truly dwell amongst us today, and in these next few moments, I pray that you would just see the wonder uh, and wonderful opportunity we have to praise you as our great God, with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we uh, consider our Western world today... I think we can say that the seas of change continue to crash against it and wash over it as the West continues to lose its roots and turn away from it. What was once a firm foundation, our Christian roots, our shared values and beliefs, all these things seem to be rapidly eroding away, a bit like the rocks do erode away at the seashore. Or perhaps some homes that are built too close to the coast, a bit like these homes in New South Wales. Uh, Back in 2020, these homes uh, made the headlines as the foundations were eroding away, as the waves and weathers continued to crash against the seashore there. Their erosion is a bit of a picture for us and what seems to be happening in our society at large. In the absence of a common denominator, a common set of values and beliefs, deep divides and cracks are appearing. We're having, sometimes in quite literal ways, an identity crisis. We are questioning who we are. We no longer know who we really are. Such an erosion can bring with it numerous challenges for the Christian. As Christians, we can all too easily find ourselves not speaking on the same wavelength as our fellow neighbour, on issues, on life choices, and actually our whole outlook in life. Uh, Tim Keller points this out in his book, How to Reach the West Again. In our materialistic culture today that kind of only acknowledges the physical universe, the Christian's understanding of the divine and of, of the spiritual is foreign territory. Beliefs that were once common for our our Western world, namely the existence of God, the afterlife, sin, heaven and hell, body and soul, these are all alien territory for many people and off-bounds for many. Amidst this situation, us as Christians, one of the key things that we face is perhaps how can we continue being the people that praise God in in the midst of this? Despite the changes and pressures around us. How can you and I, and us as a whole community, be known for our praise of God? Who continue to declare our love for God with our words and actions. Especially when the pervading culture around us is kind of going in the opposite direction. Singing praises and worship to everything other than God in heaven. How do we not lose heart? How do we not lose our Christian joy? In our passage today, uh, King David, you could say he acts like a bit of a forerunner for us, a pioneer of praise for God's people, holding up the banner of his allegiance and praise to God high in the sky in the face of foreign gods, foreign kings, foreign enemies. Three groups in our psalm who all didn't have the same allegiance. To God that David did. Perhaps you could say David's a bit like an Aussie fast-paced bowler who gets out the best batter of the other team and yells, runs past the batter with a, come on, as he runs past, dashes past and the team gathers around him and celebrates. Or perhaps you could picture an AFL player who kicks the winning goal with six seconds left on the clock. Uh, making the whole team and the, the crowd go absolutely bananas. But unlike these sports stars, David's focus is not on his own actions or achievements or glory, but on God's actions as he leads God's people in the way of praise and worship. For us this morning, we have a great opportunity to learn from David about how to foster a life of praise, a genuine praise, not just putting on a face, but genuinely from your heart, loving God, cultivating worship in spirit and truth with our whole hearts in a culture that doesn't, by and large, acknowledge God. So this morning, I really want to explore three key reasons that we have to really praise God. That is, praising God for his steadfast love and faithfulness. Praising God for his glory and praising him as God's mission that he's given for us. So firstly then, let's consider what does it mean to praise God for his steadfast love and faithfulness? Why is this such a magnificent reason for us to praise God? Uh, In verse 2 in the psalm, it says there that David does this. He He speaks of these wonderful, two wonderful attributes of God that he shouts out to praise and actually we as Christians should shout out to God and praise for. These two attributes really declare to the Christian that God's in your corner, like God was in David's corner. For the Christian, maybe a picture could help us, a picture of an older sibling or perhaps a parent or spouse or close friend who's kind of always there for you no matter what, but even more so for God. Before we dig into any more details in our psalm, I just want to step back for a moment and consider uh, the psalm before it and actually the book of psalms as a whole, because I think that's important for us to grasp. As we consider the whole book of psalms, the final form and order of it was likely put together through the post-exile period of Israel's history. During a time that God's people had come back from exile, having been carried away to foreign nations as God's judgment and discipline against them for sin and adultery in their, in their life. And so the psalm just before us, uh, our psalm today, Psalm 137, it remembers that time of exile. It remembers how difficult it was to sing praises to God during that exile. And in the midst of experiencing God's disfavor towards them. They even experienced mocking at the hand of their enemies to sing. Listen what it says there in verse 3. It says, For their captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion in taunt to them. Verse 4, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How were they to do it? When they were being tormented. Indeed, how were they able to do that? What's the answer for us this morning? Psalm 137, the psalm before us today. Israel Israel were to remember King David and God's promises to him. Despite their own unfaithfulness to God, God was still a faithful God towards his people. They were still his chosen people. For David too, despite all the significant issues and challenges he faced in his life, David knew God's unfailing love, mercy and steadfast love towards him. Shown most clearly to him in the Davidic covenant back in 2 Samuel 7, a chapter that we only explored a few weeks ago here at Willow. And this Davidic covenant is really alluded to throughout our whole psalm. In the rest of verse 2 in our psalm, why does David declare that God is full of steadfast love and faithfulness? Well, it ends there. It says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Uh, The Hebrew here is a little bit tricky. Different translations come at at different angles. Uh, the, NIV, uh, sorry, the Hebrew literally says, For you have exalted above all your name your spoken word. Uh, it's a little bit ambiguous. What's, what's that mean? And, and different commentators, commentators debate it. But I think in general it's quite clear, at least the general principle. God is most clearly exalted in and through his word and his spoken promises. To David, to God's people. That's how God is most glorified, through his promises. And how he reveals his glory through that. The Divinic Covenant is also alluded to in verse 8. Uh, the NIV begins the verse saying, The Lord will vindicate me. Uh, some other translations say, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. And I think that's a better way to go here. What, what is this purpose that David's speaking of? Well again, it's, it's his promise This promises of God that he will bring an eternal king, an eternal kingdom here on earth. All through one of David's descendants, he would be that king. Just like that post-exile community of Israel, today you and I too can dwell on God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us. Especially in his promise to be that to us, amidst all of life's circumstances. You may recall a time in your own life where God was holding on to you, that you knew his presence and help, despite what was happening in your life. A time when, despite the hardships, you actually found yourself being able to praise God, perhaps even more, knowing his loving presence, peace and comfort. And as time goes on, as you journey with God in your Christian faith, perhaps you can add more and more situations to that long history of God showing himself and proving himself to you time and time again, that he is indeed full of steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping watch over you in all circumstances. But do you know what, fellow Christian, we don't have the opportunity only to dwell on God's promise to be that, But actually we can dwell on the chief fulfilment of that promise. For God's great King has come. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, came to earth, born as a man in human flesh, the Lord and Saviour of God's people. 1 Corinthians one twenty says there, Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In In the face of a culture that doesn't acknowledge God and praise God for his steadfast, praise God then, you and me, Christian, we can praise God for his steadfast love and faithfulness. Praise him that you and I are counted amongst his flock and have received his mercy and forgiveness. And that that has been set in solid, unmovable granite and shown most clearly to us in His Son, Jesus. This is the first reason, the first cause that we have to praise God. That Jesus now is on God's, on the throne, at the right hand of God in heaven. Our salvation is secure in Him. And if you believe in Him, he, you cannot be snatched from His hand. Not only can we praise God then for his steadfast love and faithfulness, but like David, secondly, we can praise him also for his glory. Knowing God's glory is another attribute of God that draws our heart to praising God. In verse 4 and 5, David uh, speaks of these foreign kings who one day will also come into the knowledge of God's glory. In a materialistic, human-centered culture, it's easy to be blind to God's glory and actually seek our own instead. This is because rather than having a God-centered view of life, our culture says that actually we should build our lives on ourselves. Such an approach to life says meaning, value and worth should and can be sought outside of God simply by searching deep within yourself. According to such an approach, such a belief, we don't need God or religion to live a fulfilling life. Instead, go out and create meaning for yourself and be content with that. But as as attractive as such an approach may seem for many people, it falls far short of living up to its own ideals and expectations. Such a life might seem fulfilling for a time. But it is impossible to maintain forever or perfectly. This is because without God, it becomes completely up to us to hold up the impossible weight of life on our own shoulders. Which is impossible because as humans, we are by nature extremely limited. And in our sin, we are fickle and inconsistent in nature. And we're self-centered rather than giving. Maybe it's the impossible weight of maintaining your self image and personal brand on social media, or keeping up your own body image by hitting the smoothie diet and the gym 24 7. Or perhaps finding your self worth in your own business connections, in your family relationships, or your chosen sexual identity, or the number of high tea brunches that you attend. But none of these things are a solid foundation for identity or, or really gaining glory and understanding what glory is really about. They will all fail in some way or another. Businesses can fail. Someone can post something that offends you and tarnishes your reputation. Your body begins to wrinkle. Or you simply are still left feeling empty and hollow on the inside despite the brave face that you put on before others. The Bible says that this approach is not fit for purpose. We are not designed to live life this way. Instead, our greatest joy is meant to be in a life directed towards God and His glory. Knowing God. From worshipping Him and giving him all the glory, the lie that we so easily can give into, that we don't really need God, but that can't be further from the truth. God being so glorious in His nature, he is the most glorious, beautiful and wonder, wonderful thing that anything, any of us can behold. We are designed to naturally give him the glory. As, our, as He is as our Creator. True praise and worship and joy, sorry, true praise and joy comes then when we have a greater understanding of God's glory. How then do we gain this understanding? Well, verse 6 shows us that it's through humility and being willing to become low by putting God's glory above our own. Verse 6, for though we, the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. For us as Christians, Jesus, we can look to Jesus who led and opened up the way of humility for us. When he, being God, humbled himself and came as a man and lived amongst us, and he even died that humili- humiliating death on a cross, All this paradoxically to reveal God's glory to us. How? To removing that sin that stood in the way, our pride, our self-worship, and he forgave us and gave us new life in him. Uh, In John 17, Jesus has a a prayer there leading up to the cross. And it says that after after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have you have given him now this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and Jesus Christ whom you have sent i have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. It goes on in the same prayer from verse 22. Jesus speaks of how as Jesus glorifies God on the cross and in his resurrection, we as God's children can enjoy that uh, that, that glory in Jesus. In verse 22, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father Christian, ultimately, praise comes through repentance, repenting of our self-worship, Are you willing to do that this morning? To recognize and turn away from seeking your own self-glorification, attempting to exalt yourself. Honest examination like this before God is painful. But to do so opens up true purpose, true fulfillment, true joy, true glory as we see God's glory in Jesus leading us to praise. It's knowing your small place before such a great and glorious God in heaven who has graciously revealed himself through his son, Jesus. Will you praise God for that? The last thing we want to explore this morning, we've seen how God's, some of his wonderful attributes, how he's a God full of steadfast love and faithfulness, that he's our glorious God. Lastly, I want to spend a few moments considering the reason for us to praise God as his mission given to us. Uh, Beyond learning the joy of singing of these wonderful attributes of God and how he's given himself to us through Jesus, David shows that his praises have a missional aspect to them. As he praises and worships God. Now, we even saw that in the, the opening song that we sung. How great is our God that others may know of his greatness. David shows this uh, for, in the psalm here. That the impact of our praise to God has an impact on others. As they too encounter God in Christ. We have a personal job to praise God ourselves, but then that leads to that happening to others around us. Back in verse 4 and 5 in our psalm, the very reason that these pagan kings shall declare God's praise and glory is because they hear this promise, this this God's, of God's word and the praises of his people. In David then, Israel, uh, they were beginning to fill their purpose to the nations. We see this Purpose set out back in Exodus five to seven uh, 19, 5 to seven. it says, "Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession amongst, uh, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Israel in David was becoming a beacon of light in a dark land, pointing others to God's grace and the true God in heaven and his promise of a coming Messiah. Now, ever since the ever outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we too have that mission. All Christians carrying the mission to the nations through our praises to God. As we declare to others what Jesus has done for us, In 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 to 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, speaking of Christians, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen to this, That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but you have received mercy. I mean, this has mind-boggling ramifications for us when we think about it. It means that as God transforms our life, works in our hearts, as we accept God's gospel and respond in praise, God will use our praises and thankfulness to bring others into his kingdom. In other words, your praises are contagious. In the hands of God, we can think of uh, an innocent little girl singing... Jesus loves me while she quietly plays on a swing. That can be a powerful tool for good in God's hands. For an unbeliever that perhaps listens in as they walk by. Potentially changing the destination for them in eternity forever. Our praises are powerful. I once heard of a story of a young child who uh, was playing in a basketball team. And they uh, just shared their faith with uh, actually his coach and the love that he had for God. Subsequently to this, uh, the coach committed himself to Christ. And many, if not the whole team, also did the same. All through this one child speaking of his love for God. Although weak humanly speaking, your praises of God are powerful in God's hands. Do you believe that? For us this morning, in a culture that doesn't acknowledge God, will you then praise God as you remember His steadfast love and faithfulness, especially shown on the cross? When you are tempted to glorify yourself, will you praise God for His glory and find true joy in Him? Knowing that you have in Christ, what you have in Him is glorious and a treasure that is above all earthly treasures. When someone mocks you for your faith, will you keep on praising God, knowing that He is working out His plan in this world through your feeble words and singing to God. As we all await that day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed worthy of all praise and glory this morning and every day. Father, we confess that In our sin, we often seek to glorify ourselves. We confess that there are times in life that we struggle to see your faithfulness and steadfast love. Father, we pray that in all life circumstances, help us to see Jesus and look to him. Help us to humble ourselves, to repent, to confess our sin and self-glorification and give you the glory. And Father, we thank you that through doing that and through the gift of faith and through your work of your Holy Spirit in us, you give us a life that is so joyous in you, knowing that you are with us no matter what because you prove that on the cross. Father, we thank you that despite our sin You are renewing us. And Father, we have uh, an eternity to look forward to, of sharing that glory that you share with us. Father, we don't deserve this, but we are so thankful for us. Father, we pray that you might help us to sing praises to you with our whole heart, despite others around us that might not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amén.